So now, here we go. Hoorah. All right, if you got your Bibles, anybody bring a Bible with them anymore? Good. It's good to have it in paper. I brought my goat skin, so if you smell a great sense of leather going on this morning, it's also coming from here. A wink and a leather Bible is what we got this morning. But we're going to be talking about and continuing on this grace. And uh, how long are we going to talk about it? Uh, probably forever. Uh, there's no end to this grace because, again, grace is not a subject. It's a man. It's God. It's Jesus himself. And, again, one of the things that we have talked, and I want to just reiterate a couple of things this morning before we get into this. But just really understanding, and I know in my own personal life, the Lord has been going along this path for me. Because I found myself not, well, a while ago now, a little frustration in my relationship with the Lord and even some distance. And I'm going, what is it? And the Lord had to bring me back to grace. Reason being is because when I start to try to do things in my own effort, that's where God starts to pull away. Because God will not share his glory with anyone else. So the grace of God, again, is everything that God has provided through Jesus, and it's a gift for you and I, and it's taken care of spirit, soul, and body. God took care of the whole thang. T-H-A-N-G. Okay. Now, trying to connect with God with a performance relationship will leave me tired, will leave me burnt out, and actually further away from intimacy with him. You know, you could put it like this. Are you trying to connect with God on Mount Sinai, which represents the law, or are you connecting with God on Mount Zion, which is grace? God has left the mountain. You have got to find out which mountain he is located at. And if you're still trying to connect with God at Sinai, you will be frustrated and you'll be trying to perform, trying to, you know, make something happen in your relationship with God, and he's not there anymore. In Hebrews chapter 8, we went over this in time, but God's actually leaving that old covenant on the shelf, and there it is collecting dust. So you and I trying to perform or try to do anything out of our own efforts to not only get right standing with God, but to get God to do anything on our behalf will fall in vain because it's useless because you and I cannot do anything to get God to do something for us. It's all been given as a gift, which is grace to you and I. Now Jesus, through his sacrifice, brought about the change of mountains that took place. It was never God's will that you and I, that mankind, would be connecting with God through the law. That was never his will. What's the law's purpose and intention? What was Sinai's intention? I mean, it's really good for you and I. You know, I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Word of God tells us that all the things that happened in times past were an example for us as to what is that we could actually walk out our salvation in today. So it's good to actually go back and see what they did in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, so that we don't fall in the same trap. Right? So now, again, what God's plan was never for you and I to connect with him or have this relationship with him through the Old Testament, through the Old Covenant, or the law. Reason being, the law was given to reveal to you and I how much we needed him. And the law was given simply because you can read this in Exodus chapter 18, that the Israelites at that time, they said to Moses, whatever God tells us to do, we can easily do it. And now, if you just read it kind of in simple, you know, in the, our English language, you go, oh, they have a good heart. They want to help God out. No, that actually, in the Hebrew, brings out their form of pride. Whatever God says, no problem. We can do it. And God changed his tone towards the Israelites at that moment. Right after that, he told now Moses, now he said, make sure no men, no cattle, no animal goes up this mountain because if they do, they will surely die. Because having this approach, oh yeah, whatever God says I can do, ah, no problem, I can do that, no big deal. God was saying, hold on a minute, sinful man cannot approach a holy God. 
So thank God he did something in the meantime, but he was revealing to the Israelites, you think you just got this on your own? You don't. So that's what the law brings about regularly. You think you can do this life? You think you can make your own salvation? You think you can earn your healing? You think you can earn your provision, your joy, your peace? You think you can earn all that? You're kidding yourself. What do you need? You need him. And that's why Jesus came to demonstrate who the Father is, but also to fulfill what the law demanded of sinful, bankrupt man. Right? So now, again... The law and all of its demands was not God's will to connect with mankind. So God had spoken through the Old Testament. It started in Genesis when he told the serpent that the, the, the heel of the, of the man or the seed is going to bruise your head. He started in Genesis, went into Exodus, all the way to Malachi. He said it, he said it, he said it, that one's coming. So I want you to see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It says, this salvation was the focus of the prophets who prophesied of this outpouring of grace. Say with me, outpouring of grace. What were the prophets of old prophesying about? An outpouring of grace. Come on, say with me again. The outpouring of grace. And it was destined for who? Say me. It was destined for me. They made a careful search and investigation of the meaning of their God-given prophecies as they probed into the mysteries of who would come to fulfill them and the time period when it would all take place, the spirit of the anointed one was in them and was pointing prophetically to the sufferings that Christ was destined to suffer and the glories that would be released afterward. So they're probing into this. Imagine this in the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah in chapter 53, for example, he sees this suffering servant and going, man, but after all these sufferings, the Lord was well pleased to bruise it, but he's going to be happy about this because a whole new people is going to be born? What's he talking about? He only got pictures, and we read that in Hebrews chapter 1, that God in diverse times spoke to the prophets, and he gave them a piece of the puzzle as time progressed and as time went on until we get to the full picture here in a sec. Verse 12, it says, God revealed to the prophets that their ministry was not for their own benefit, but for yours. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) And now, say now. Now. You have heard these things from the evangelists who preached the gospel to you through the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the gospel containing wonderful mysteries that even the angels long to get a glimpse of. So we said this a couple times before, but again, the church is the university for the angels. And every believer now is a professor in this university of grace. So angels look at you. Rather, we're going, oh, we're the angels. They look at you and go, whoa. We're going, oh, I saw an angel today. That's exciting. That's great. But you know what? They're doing this regularly. I get to walk by you every day. The air of grace, the air of salvation. What is man that you are mindful? Wow. And they're looking to see, what is this, God, what is this grace that you've poured out on them regularly for every area of their life? They're amazed by it. So again, as we said, God talked about it. He said it in Genesis. He said it in Exodus. And finally, we get in John chapter 1. And look at this in verse 1. It says, in the beginning. What's he talking about in the beginning? Not the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. He's talking about before there even was a beginning to the beginning of anything. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through the Word, through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. You know, the Aramaic brings out this word that in Him, 
uh, it gave life, that in him was lives. In the palm of his hand, there were lives. Not just physical life, but eternal life. Salvation life was in his hand. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now we go, okay, that's, that's great, that's exciting, but then we get to verse 14. So now this word became human and made his home among us. And he, this word, this man, was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And verse 17, aren't you thankful? And he was full of rules and regulations. You better, I'm going to. No, the law was given through Moses. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness, notice this, it came That word, I want you just to highlight that word, it came. God could have easily, you know, he could have given a, you know, uh, a Zoom call or something like that and just say, hey, I love y'all. But rather than just kind of sending a message, he delivered a message in a person called Jesus Christ. And through God's unfailing love, Jesus Christ brought love and God's unfailing love. That's what he brought. So this whole changing of, of mountains is all because of this one man, Jesus. This whole New Testament that you and I are part of, it's all about him. In fact, again, Hebrews 8, verse 6, I don't know you know this, but it's good to continue to emphasize this in your Christian life. It's not about you. Say that. It's not about me. Sometimes Christians are miserable. You know why? They made their life about them. What I do, what I don't do. What somebody did to me, what somebody should have done to me. It's too much you. Stop it. Jamie says that to me regularly. Stop it. Too much Joel. Oh, okay. Yeah, now I get to say it to you. All right? Now, too much. Stop it. You make this Christian life all about you. My feelings are hurt. Suck it up. It's not about you. Jesus, he came to his own people, and they didn't even know who he was. He came to the world he created, and they didn't even recognize him. Not only that, then he came to his own family, and they had no idea who he was. So talk about feeling a little left out. Verse 6, Jesus said, or this is all about Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, has accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs, talking about the natural priest back in the Old Covenant day. Now, Jesus, what is he? He is the catalyst of a better covenant which contains far more, say it with me, far more, Wonderful promises. So you could read the Old Testament and go, man, there's some powerful things here. But God, through Jesus Christ, has actually been a catalyst to bring in a brand new covenant with better promises, better quirks to it. It's a done deal already. Old Testament, they had to perform in order to see it. In this Testament, guess what you got to do? Believe. And so we're going to get into that. So again, this whole focus of this mountain from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, the shift in that is Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. So you've got to make this a big deal, not just something we talk about at Easter. This is a daily, now renewing the way you think. This cross changed everything for me. This cross changes everything for my marriage. It changes everything for my finances. It changes everything for my mental health. It changes everything for my physical health. It changes everything for my peace, the joy of the Lord. Everything in this life that I'll ever need, I can look to the cross and he provided for it. 
Now, if I try looking for it from some other way, that's where I'll get distracted. That's where I'll end up getting hurt. He is supposed to be the source of everything that I'll ever need. If I try depending on my wife to get happy, guess what? I'll be miserable. Why? She can't perform everything that I need all the time. Jamie, tell me a joke. I'm feeling a little grumpy today. What do you, what do you got? And she hates jokes. You do? Don't? I don't know. No, I don't know. We've almost been married for 14 years, so I should figure that out. But it's like, do you see that? If you're looking for other people, hey, uh, you know, family member, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little bit sad. Make me happy. I, no. Who do I go to? I have to go to the source. And that's who Jesus became for you and I is the source. And Ephesians chapter 1 verifies that he became the source for everything the church needs. And the church isn't just these four walls. It's you. So everything the church needs, he is. Now, look at this, Romans 5, 19 again. You should memorize this scripture, put it deep down in your pocket, in your heart. Get it solid on the inside of you. Because one man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. Now, we have to be careful here because there are still denominations out there that still magnify this part. They stay here. They camp out here. One man's disobedience. So y'all sinners. Y'all a bunch of losers, no good, rotten, good for nothing, blah, 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 blah. That's who you are. Now, if you stay there, the problem is, is that you become sin conscious. Meaning you are going to keep going in this cycle of sin, wanting to get out. You're stuck at Sinai, constantly living like this. Oh, like, you know, this is just part of Adam's sin. You know, this, this is the curse of the world, and this is just what it is. I have to just live with this. I have to live with this, you know, this depression. I got to live with this sickness. I got to live because one man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. There's just, that's, that's it. I'm saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to continue living just like a bum on this earth. Stop it. Then he says, so also, come over. Now, one man's obedience. So we have to know the value of this man, Jesus. One man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So now I have to, now I've walked out of that door. I'm now part of this new covenant, this new family. I've got to see this, what this right standing, I'm acceptable in God's eyes. What does that do? What does that look like in my everyday life? Because it affects not just my church life. It's every day. His obedience changed everything for me. So now what do I need to do? What is the Christian life? What do I as a believer do? Anybody ever asked that before? I'm a Christian, now what? Anybody ever asked that question? Maybe you know somebody who's asked that question because y'all, we're very smart. You guys are, the, the Lord really helps you. We're very smart here. What do we do? We have to go to the word of God and see what Jesus' obedience and sacrifice accomplished for me, choose, make a decision or choose to believe it, and now take the time to line up my thinking with that truth. That's what the whole Christian life is all about, is now you and I seeing what the sacrifice of Jesus, that's why Romans 5.19, we got to get it down, deep down in our heart, because now, because of his obedience, my life has completely changed. Oh, how has it changed? you got to dig into this. You have got to find out in this new covenant that's yours, what did Jesus' sacrifice and obedience do for you? Because his work is substitutionary, meaning he did it for you. So God looks at you and he says, you performed all that the law through Jesus. He goes, 
Well done. It's done. Finished. So now how do I live my life? I have to now see what he did, choose to believe it, and now change the way that I think to line up with what he did. Can you see this? And fruit will just start falling off of you. Because, again, you don't see apple trees out there every spring or whatever they come out so summertime. And they're just, oh, I got an apple out. You don't see apples struggling to push out an apple. A tree that's constipated. I don't even know if that's a thing. I'm sure you could Google it and find an answer somewhere on that. But that's not actually a thing. Well, the same way. A constipated Christian, spiritually speaking, ought not be. And the reason why you feel, I just got to get this stuff out, I got to love, I got to be enjoying it at peace, it's because you're in works. You are trying to make something happen, but when you connect to grace, you connect to that vine that Jesus said you're supposed to connect to, what happens? It's just falling off me. Why? Because it's Christ in you doing his work. Not you being a Christian going to prove how good this stuff is. It don't work that way. Now, it's good. If you are constipated, we will pray for you after the service and we'll (laughs) we'll take care of that. (laughs) Now look at this, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So now, beloved friends, what what should be our proper response? Think about it. What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercy. What's the answer? Here, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifice and live in holiness. And people go, oh, hold on a sec, holiness. That means you got, you know, tie your hair in a bun, you got to not wear jewelry, you got to wear, you know, you know pants that at least a certain length, right? That's what they think holiness. Holiness is simply the fruit of living in grace. When you live in grace, what happens? You start to be and living a life that's holy. What does holiness mean? It means set apart. The more that you see what grace has done, you see what God has done on your behalf, you want to dedicate more of your life to him. Religion tries to make you committed. You better do more. Get committed. Come on, you got to do some. Get involved, get involved, get involved. It's good to get involved. But if you're doing it out of the wrong motive, it's not good. Because you'll just burn yourself out and everybody else. Right? Anybody meet, meet a, you know, a ticked off, angry greeter? Hi, what's, what's wrong with you? Morning. So glad you're here in the house of the Lord today. It's like, could you please not? You're more of an encumbrance. So what do I do? As I start to see what grace has provided for me, now these smiles that you see here, you're, you're visiting going, man, are these people real? Yeah, you know why? Because we've experienced his grace. These are authentic. These are real. We love you. Now you're just saying that. No, it's genuine. Why? Because he loved me. Ha <laughs> ha. Let me continue reading. Live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Verse 2 now, stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of what? Come on, Christians, a lot of times we spend a lot of time, oh, I'm not going to think of it. We have to intentionally change the way that we think. This, then, will empower you to discern 
God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. This is how now, when my mind starts to be transformed by God's word, what happens, I'll be able to clearly see or discern what God's will for my life is. And that's the number of question you hear. I'm not sure what God wants me to do in my life. I'm not sure what he wants me to do. Well, here it actually clearly tells us when you start to change the way that you think to line up with God's word, more and more will be revealed to you. Because all people just say, I just want God to know. Just throw it on a microwave. God, I'm just throwing this microwave prayer up to you. Please show me where I'm supposed to go. Ding. And hopefully it just comes to pass. You have to intentionally change the way that you think. So wh- why is that so important? Because if God were to reveal to you what he's called you to do in your next step, you're not ready for it. People dress it up as, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm still in this place of, I'm just, you know, really praying and discerning God. No, you're ignorant of the word. And so what do we got to do? You have to change the way you think to line up with this so that God could reveal to you your next step. So that could be an answer where you may be, as my next step is, I have to go to the word and just start allowing God to change the way I think on the inside. That's how you get unstuck. All right. Now, the work of the believer, what is our work? I don't know if you've ever asked that. So many times I've asked this, Lord, what do you want me to do? Anybody ever say that before? What am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus tells us, John 6, 29, ready for the words of Jesus? They're red. Well, on the screen, they're white, but they're red in your Bible. Jesus said this. This is right after he just fed a multitude of loaves and fishes, and then he left, and they were looking for him, going, man, Jesus, where'd you go? We're hungry. And he said, you're not actually coming to me because you're you're coming to me because I fed you with food. And he said, don't spend all your time focusing on these natural things. Instead, you want to do the will of God. And so they asked him, what what is the work that God wants us to do? Jesus said to them, this is the only work God wants from you. Ready? Believe. And it's not just... I believe Jesus died and rose again, and that's now I've, I'm a believer, so that makes me a believer. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's how we get into the family of God. But now that you're in the family of God, you don't just stop believing. Now, because of what Jesus has done, Jesus is so much more than, okay, you forgave my sins, now I go to heaven. There is a whole whack of believing that you and I are a part of now. We're called believers. What do believers do? Believe. Simple. Okay, what do we do as believers? We believe. Now again, Hebrews chapter 3, look at this again. Verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, or the word of God tells us, so God, he swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. Now what we wanted to change your mindset, every time you hear the word disobey, what are we changing in? Unbelief. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance Because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. You saw in 18, he said disobey. 19, he said unbelief. Those words are interchangeable. Again, in the New Testament, you have to change those words. When you first hear the word obey, it doesn't actually come out first in my actions. It comes out first in my believing. When I believe right, I act right. When I believe right, fruit comes out. A lot of times we're still stuck at Sinai and we're trying to see things happen in our life. We're trying to still get things to happen. He says, get your believing right and the fruit comes off of you. So he's not saying, there's no, he's not saying that there are no works in the Christian walk. There are works. James talks about works. But he says, first, my faith or my believing comes first and action comes secondary right afterwards. So faith and actions go hand in hand. So we can see what you actually believe by what you do. 
Hmm, did you know that? You can see what people believe by what they say. Hmm. So every time, you, don't, you don't, may not realize it, but you're actually showing what you believe by what you say and the actions that you do. All right. So now let's go with this for a sec. If that's the work of a New Testament believer, looking again at verse 19, that look at this, talk about the Israelites. They could not enter their inheritance. Say with me, their inheritance. So this shows me that I have an inheritance that Jesus provided for me, but how would I not tap into it? Because of unbelief. So Jesus provided a massive inheritance. You know, in Luke chapter 15, the father of the prodigal son, the oldest son, said, everything that I have to the older son is yours. What was the older son's issue? He had a heart issue. One of the things, I mean, you see a lot of problems with that, but he had a heart issue. And one of the main things is his believing was off. So for you and I, unbelief disqualifies me from my inheritance. Now, thank God, unbelief can be cured by the word of God. But you and I have to intentionally do this. If we just go about our daily, not actually take the time to think about this, our unbelief disqualifies you from your inheritance. What has grace provided for you? It starts with an E. There it is, everything. Now, if you look again at 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm not going to turn there. I don't have that on the screen here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Everything that we'd ever need for living a godly life has already provided through knowing Him, which is knowing grace. That's why we're taking this time to establish our hearts in what grace has provided so it gives you something to believe. Right? We have to believe something. Now, let's go again in Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to see this. I took this from the mirror paraphrase. Again, anybody heard of the mirror? The mirror is beautiful because it pulls out a lot of the Greek words. And the reason I use a lot of these different paraphrases and things is because sometimes our English language is so minimal. Like, for example, in the King James Bible, you see the word charity. Well, did you know in Greek there's seven different words for charity? So we would just say charity and go, yeah, I don't love, you know, love you. The, the Greek expands so much. And in fact, the Hebrew language, every word that's ever yet to be made up is already found in the Hebrew language. English is very limited. So that's why we don't just kind of go, well, you know, just, just read your King James Bible and you'll be good to go. I don't even actually all the times understand what they're all saying. So I have to go, Lord, help me with the Greek. Show me some of these words. And the Mirror Bible really brought a lot of that out. That's why I'm revealing it to you. Okay, just so you're all clear. Now, verse 12 Hebrews chapter 3, he says, make sure, oh, go back, guys. Make sure that none of you tolerates the poison of unbelief in your heart. Right? So if it's tolerated, it means you're not doing anything about it. You may not even recognize it. So unbelief in your hearts, allowing callousness to distract and distance you from the living God. So now you, he's talking to Christians here. So is it possible that a Christian, born again, on their way to heaven, could be distant from God? Not they've lost their salvation, but they don't have this intimate relationship. They're stuck at Sinai trying to make something happen. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. And you know, actually, again, the, the Hebrew in this brings out a calloused heart is a mind that is dominated by the senses. That's what brings about callousness. Verse 13, instead, 
remind one another daily of your true identity, making today count. Do not allow callousness. Okay, don't allow it. You only see Jesus get ticked off real bad in the Gospels. And when was that? At a hard heart. Remember the man with the withered hand? And then Jesus asked him, is it better to you know, heal on the Sabbath or is it to do evil? And they looked at him. And Jesus said he looked at them and anger rose up on the inside of them. Why? Because of their hardness of heart. A callous heart is one that constantly forgets what grace has done and constantly just sticks and is stuck to the five physical senses. I'm going to stay here. No, I'm not going to do any of that. You're stuck and it's actually making your heart hard and not God is turning his back on you. You're turning it against him. All right. He says, do not allow callousness of heart to cheat any of you for even a single day out of your allotted portion. Again, your inheritance. How many of you got an inheritance? And the rest of you. Our inheritance is good. And the rest of you. I, we got an inheritance. I want to... I want to get as much out of it in this life that I possibly can. It belongs to me. Come on, say it. It belongs to me. Joy belongs to me. Why would I want to live my life depressed when Jesus took care of that and gave me his joy? Why? What do I got to do? I got to find out what he provided for me and make sure that my heart is going to be believing that. Because you can easily go, oh, I've heard that before. No, yeah, I, I know Jesus did that, but I sure don't feel it. It's not about feeling. It's about believing. Believing has nothing to do with your emotions. Believing has everything to do with your will. It's all a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. But people still feel, I don't feel it. Doesn't matter how you feel. So they live stuck. Verse 14, who we are in our union with Christ must be taken to its ultimate conclusion. Do not cancel out your confidence start by making a poor finish. Verse 15, every day is an extension of God's today. Hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. Grace has provided everything we'll ever need. The, my part in the equation is to make sure my heart doesn't get hard when I hear it. Because, listen, grace also disciplines. Grace also causes change. We hear, oh, grace is so amazing. But you know what else grace also does? It also causes you and I to change. And a lot of times why people don't want to change. They want to stay where they're at. They want to stay in their ritual ways. They want to stay in their traditions. They want to stay locked up in the past. And you know what happens? They start to get this hardness of heart. And even though they're saying, oh, I'm still worshiping God, your heart is hard. Why? Because it's not turned towards him. There's no leniency into what God's doing now. Okay. The stubborn rebellion of Israel brought them nowhere. (laughs) Isn't that a harsh reality? (laughs) So he says, the same people who experienced God's mighty act of deliverance out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, were the very ones who rebelled. Man, Moses was your leader. Listen, Moses was your leader. So obviously, it's not always leadership's problem. (laughs) 
I'm just throwing that in there. All right. Just, just, all right. For wherever you may be working. They grieved him. No, honestly, Prime Minister Trudeau is not your issue. What previous churches did to you is not your issue. All right, moving right along. Verse 17, I am not your issue. <laughs> yeah, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. All right, verse 17, moving right along. <laughs> they grieved him for 40 years in the wilderness, and they died there. Now, verse 18, God's invitation. These are what we read just previously about believing and, un- and disobeying. But look at this and how they bring it out here. God's invitation does not exclude anyone from possessing the promise of his rest. Their unbelief does. So God's rest, ultimately, what are we looking for? Rest. How do I know that I'm living the grace life? I'm living a life of rest. I'm not striving to make things happen. I'm at rest because when I'm resting, he's working. When I'm striving, he's resting. It's not about you, but I'd rather have God working on my behalf than him have his hands tied up because he can't do anything because I'm striving and trying to pop out a good work. All right. So God's invitation does not exclude anyone from possessing the promise of his rest. Their unbelief does. Persuasion cannot be compromised by unbelief. Meaning this, our believing a lie about ourselves cannot compromise what God knows to be true about us. If you want to continue to believe the lie, God has no access into you. Well, that's just who I am. God sees differently. God says differently. But if you continue to believe and say the same thing about yourself, his hands are tied and he's not able to extend his grace to change. So verse 19, the point is this. Even though the Israelites, they survived by supernatural means in the wilderness for 40 years. They failed to grasp what God had in mind for them. Their own unbelief disqualified them. What did God have for them? A land flowing with milk and honey. Right? That's what he had for them. They could not go into there because God was just mean. God had a little bit of a bad day because of their unbelief. So believing is crucial in our Christian walk. It is vital. God says the sun is going to wake up in the east tomorrow. What do you do? I don't believe that. For the last 35 years, 80 years of my life, it's come out the west. If God says it's coming out on the east, what do you do? I hope that's east. <laughs> I don't know where we're somewhere. This way? No, oh, that's messed up. I don't think that's, that's... Is that east? Oh, man. All right, All right whatever. You may be smarter than I. Okay. But if he says it, you believe it regardless. Oh, God, I'm going to have to need some proof on that. I'm going to have to feel something. I'm going to need a couple of oceans to part before I believe that. That hardens your heart and don't expect to receive anything from the Lord on that kind of attitude. It don't work that way. Grace says, my response is, I believe it. Grace says, you're forgiven. And we still got people thinking, oh, man, I'm just not forgiven. Who are you to think that you're not? You think you're smarter than him? You think you know more? Well, I don't feel. It has nothing to do with feelings. Feelings follow my belief. I believe, and my feelings may try to bring me the other way. No, I believe this, and eventually feelings will get in line to what I believe. I don't go by what I feel. 
Say it with me. I don't go by what I feel. What do I go by? I go by what grace has said. Grace says you're healed. I'm not feeling it. I just, I just never get it. I prayed and I prayed and nothing happens. Do you know what that does? It hardens your heart. And all of a sudden, where are you in this place of not receiving grace? Because you're just, I've prayed, nothing works. And all of a sudden, you seem to be getting a harder heart. And you've turned your back on the Lord. And we're going, God, where are you? He's, I'm right here. You have to turn towards him and let him now nourish that heart again. And how does it nourish? Let his love overwhelm that heart again. That's the foundation for everything is I am loved by God. Okay, we doing okay? Okay. Now... I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I want you to I want us just mention a few things about these Israelites. Their unbelief disqualified them. So again, this tells me that the Israelites didn't die because God didn't come through for them in Egypt. Right? The Israelites didn't die because Pharaoh was their problem. Pharaoh was removed. Was Pharaoh their issue? No. The trials and the problems that they faced, was that their issue? No. What took Israel out? The Israelites died because of their unbelief. They believed a lie about themselves. And what did that do? They died in it. So for you and I, I do not want us to die. I don't just mean physical death. I mean just even your hope deferred. Where your dreams are just let go. Because God's put something on the inside of you. God's told you this is what I've called you to do. And because of life, because of things that have gone on, you've dropped it because of a trial, a desert time that you've walked through. You know, there may be, you know, hypothetically you put a fair up there that just kind of wrecked your life and all of a sudden you just dropped everything down. I'm here to tell you, pick that thing back up because this can't take you out. No pharaoh, no boss or employee, whatever it is, can take you out. So look at this in verse 17, Numbers 13. This is just as the Israelites are about to go into the promised land. You know the story, but let's read this with all this in mind. Moses gave these men the instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. He said, go north to the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. Now, could you imagine? The Israelites, I bet, they're, they're jacked. Right? This is the promised land. God told them, like, it's the promised land. Think about even that terminology. It was promised land that God was said this was yours. This was their inheritance. So in the same way, you can, see the, you can see your inheritance, you can read it, you can go, man, this is exciting, this is, whoo, this is good stuff. The Israelites, I'm sure they're chest bumping each other going, are you kidding me, throwing their kids up in the air, look at that land, it looks amazing, go your best and get all you can and bring it all in here, let's take a look at it. They're excited, now there's the three million people, right, they're bumped, they're excited, go, come on, what do we got here? Verse 21, or yeah, so they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Libo Hamath. Going, oh man, okay, going north, they looked at all that. Verse 23, when they came to the valley of Eshkol, go to the next one, guys. They cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. Now, that's a grape. These rinky-dinky grapes that you and I have to just... 
ridiculous. When we get to heaven, I believe a grape is like the size of my head. I, I'm, it just takes you eight bites to eat one grape. That's, that's a grape. So large. Now, they brought also back the samples of the pomegranates and the figs. <laughs> Come on now. Then that place that they called the Valley of Eshkel means cluster because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites' men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report. We enter the land that you sent us to explore. Now, before I go on, what was God's word? What did God tell them? What did grace say to them? This is your land. Go and possess it. Take it. Okay, now this is their report back to what they saw, smelt, seen, experienced. They're dominated by these senses. Okay? We entered it, this is what we saw, and it indeed is a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. What does that even mean? I, oh, here is the kind of fruit it produces. Now, verse 28. But the land, sorry, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. Did you know that more grapes, God's got more grapes for you. And the grapes, guess where they are? They're in the land of the giants. They're in the land that you don't want it to be in. <laughs> oh man, there's giants there. They've got four to five cities. The Amalekites live in the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. Your grapes are there. Wrap it up. Let's go home. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. This was their complaint. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. What did he say? Let's go at once. What's he basing this off of? What he heard spoken. What Grace said, go possess the land. His response is, let's go at once and let's take the land. He says, we can certainly conquer it. Say it. We can do it. You know, one of the things that you've got to be good at as believers, be part of the We Can Club. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Can you do it? Can the church do it? Yes, we can. Yeah, but I don't know, you know, city officials and government stuff and, you know, there's just finances and all that stuff. Yes, we can. You know, I've also, I think, Mr. Hubsman, I think you actually have said this once. Uh, be, I'm part of the So Be It Union. <laughs> I said So Be It, not So Be It. Okay, just so we're clear. Be part of the So Be It Union, the Amen Club, rather than, oh, no, it's just too tough. That's too tough. That is going to hinder grace from wanting to do. Listen, what grace provided is so much more than you could even ask or think. So always be part of the... Sounds good to me. Let's do it. It's the best club to be a part of. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly do it. Verse 31. Don't be these guys. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up there against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled. Notice what he says. They spread this bad report. 
Other translations, I believe the King James says this evil report. Why did the word of God call it bad? Because it went against what God said. God says, go. They said, we can't. What does God say that is? That is actually unbelief. That's disobedience. <laughs> There's giants in the land. What am I supposed to do? Well, let's take them. I'll take that guy. I'll take that one. You take the other guy. Let's just cut their heads off. Let's do it. That's how they need to be thinking. So this land that we travel through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. Now notice what's coming out of them. Out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth is speaking. So this is what they believe. They believe if they go in there, we will be devoured by going in there. God says, go in there and take it. They said, we'll be devoured. Now, what's the problem with that? Grace speaks. Man disagrees. And what does he do? He's turned his heart in callousness away from the Lord. And he's drawn back from intimacy. I can't, I, I can't work. And what did you do? You just pulled away from him. Verse 33. says, we even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. <laughs> Other translations say, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how they saw us too. Now, we have no recollection of them talking to the giant saying, hey, what do you think of us? How do you view us? And they say, you look like grasshoppers. See, told you. We have no recollection of that. But their perceived image of themselves, they now portray that on what other people thought about them. Now, how many times have we done that in our own life? Oh, I just, you know, I feel so insecure. Well, people out there think I'm insecure. No, we don't. We don't think that at all. Actually, we're not even thinking about you. <laughs> and you go, oh, yes, pal. It, it's crazy how wrapped up we keep all this. It's, it's so, it's all me, it's all me. It's not. Grace says, what do you do? What if it makes no sense to you? What if grace says something that goes against your tradition? What now? Now listen, there, uh, it's easy to say, in church now, yeah, do it. But tomorrow morning when the Lord brings that correction, oh, Lord, but I've been doing that for, you know, I've been doing that for a long time. I, uh, I, I don't see that happening in the future. That hinders you from moving forward in your relationship and actually stopping the inheritance that God has for you. There's more. There's more grapes. Say with me, there's more grapes. There's plenty more where that came from. Now, I'll continue reading on this just to, to finish it up. Verse chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then the whole community, now notice because of these evil, this evil report, now the whole community began weeping out loud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only, now listen to their protest, if only we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. <laughs> Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in this battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better if it just to us to return to Egypt? What was wrong? Their belief system was still tied to Egypt. And this is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God change the way you think with his word. Because a lot of times God's systems, God's ways of operations are totally contrary and contradictory to the world. God says, I want you to do this. You go, that makes no sense. Do it. 
do it. All right. Verse 4, then they plotted among themselves. Now notice that. What happens is when you have turned your heart away from the Lord, what happens now you get disgruntled. Then what do you do? You actually find people that are disgruntled just like you, and you start plotting among yourselves. That leadership sucks. They have no idea what they're doing. They're stupid. Let's choose a new leader, and let's go back to Egypt. Whoa. Whoa. How? How did it get there? They let their hearts be calloused. Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell down on their face to the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is wonderful. It's for you. And if if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is rich with flowing with milk and honey. This is who I want. This is who I want to be, but this is what you want to be, is these type of guys. Verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. Notice, what are they doing? Come on, y'all. This is serious. They're rebelling against who? They think it's Moses. They're rebelling against the Lord. How did that, how, how did it get there? How does somebody get to this place where they're rebelling against the Lord? Calloused heart. Grace said this. No. Okay. Seer. Grace says, hey, let's do this. No. Another layer. Grace is now, rather than grace being a calming voice, now it's, hey, let's try this. No. And now, you can't even hear. You've said no way too many times. And if you keep saying no, eventually they stop asking. So what do we do? Yes. Now, does that mean the Lord can't reach an un- a calloused heart? No, he can. God, God is bigger than our little minds here. He absolutely can and wants to, but you've got to give him something to work to. Lord, I repent. I'm sorry, grace has spoken this to me. I, I, Lord, what you told me, about, I, I repent of that. What can I do to make this right? What do I need to believe? What, what can I do? And he'll show you. But I just want you to see how it went from, man, here we are. These people, they experienced miracle. So again, what does this show me? That faith, me being a person of faith, doesn't mean that I walk in these and I experience all these supernatural miracles all the time. It's you and I actually resting in what God has provided for us. That is the object of my faith, is to rest. Miracles will come, absolutely. That's the norm in the Christian life. What What am I fighting for? What am I laboring for? To enter into his rest. But I want you and I to see... How on earth did they get to this place that they rebelled? And even in Samuel, it talks about rebellion is as witchcraft. Because what is actually the, the root of rebellion? It's you're trying to sway other people to join your anger. And we don't realize it, but the church is really likes to get involved in this. I don't like the way they do that. I don't like this. I don't like that. Careful, because I don't want to do that either. Yeah, there's things that I don't like either, but hey, Lord, what do you want to do? Okay, let's do it. I don't want to get my heart hard towards him. Because it's not, you may be saying, it's, well, somebody in this. No, 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 it's not in the, it's actually directed towards him. So I don't want any of that in my life. Anybody else on the same page? Yeehaw, okay. And he says, don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of these people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. 
but the whole community, I know we say amen to that, but the whole community, there they are, began to talk about, now what? Has this not escalated quickly? This is like a crazy show that you just want, like, holy man, whoa, whoa. Okay, now they're ticked off. They're not going to do it. Okay, no, 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 no. We hear that. Now they're rebelling against the Lord. Now they're picking up stones to throw it at their very own leaders. Stone Joshua, stone Caleb. Now notice this. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at their tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long? How long will these people treat me with contempt, meaning inferior? Will they never believe me? Do you see those words? Will they never believe me? Come on, y'all, I want, to hear the heart, I want you to hear the heart of a father. What is a father? As even a natural parent, what do you love for your kids to, to know and to, to have with you? They believe you. When I tell my kids, hey, this is what's going to happen, they believe me. I love that. How much more, our Heavenly Father, will they never believe me? His heart, I believe, was crushed at that moment. He took them out. Even after all the miraculous signs I have done for them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. This is the law. (laughs) Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. And I'm not going to read it, the rest of it, but... Thank God it doesn't end there. <laughs> you could just read and go, oh, man, that's, that's, that's rough. Moses interceded for the people, and God actually, you can see, he had a softening of heart towards his people. Wow. But now in all of that, the whole purpose of all this is the inheritance. What disqualified the Israelites from receiving or experiencing their God-given inheritance? Their unbelief. It wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't Egypt. It wasn't the world. It's not your prime minister. It's not your boss. It's not anything natural. It's not the finances. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It has everything to do with your belief in what grace has said. So you all, we've all got an inheritance in Christ Jesus. But then in that inheritance is also your purpose, your divine call. Where does it begin? My believing has to got, got to get right with his word. Pick it up. Don't drop it. There is more grapes available. And a lot of times those grapes are going to be where the giants are. God never said it's going to be easy, but he says you already have the victory. In this land, in this life, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. Why? Because he already overcame the world. So what do I do? I have to align my believing to line up with what grace has spoken, and that inheritance belongs to me. I don't care if I can't naturally see it yet. It belongs to me. People can say whatever they want. It's mine because God said so. That's what I hold on to. Some of you have been standing believing God for healing. Don't let it drop. What do I do? Hold on to that grape. It's mine. Don't let no devil, don't let no person, no anybody try to take that grape away from you. It's my grape. It's my inheritance. It belongs to me. And then say, what do we do? Hebrews chapter 3 says, so today, when it's called today, let us encourage one another in this. This is who you are. You are blessed, church. That's who you are. You are rich and prosperous. You are rich in joy. You are rich in peace. You are rich in your finances. (gasps) Grace provided for it. What are you going to say? Thank you. You are rich in your health. You are rich in your soul. Why? Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. That's your grape. 
So what do you do? Hold on to that thing and refuse to let it go. And now if you want, you can actually go deeper into it. Meditate. Take the time to think, and I got a sound mind, a sound, strong mind. And my body, whoo, it is strong. My eye opened up as I'm preaching to you. It's strong. I already spoke to when I came. I said, ah, you be open. 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 <laughs> Not trying to be creepy. It's just, yeah. All right, in closing now. <clears throat> in conclusion, God longs for you to discover your completeness and wholeness from his point of view. That's what he craves. His rest is sustained in by what he sees, knows, and says about you in reference to the finished works of Christ. Jesus is what God believes about you. Jesus is what God believes about you. How he sees Jesus, he sees you. So what do I do? Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, because how the Father sees you may be a lot differently than you see you or other people see you. But what do I need to do? I need to line up with his eyeballs, not mine. His eyeballs are right. His perspective and his point of view is right. Ours are skewed because we see from this humanistic, you know, perspective down here. God looks and he sees the truth. He sees reality. So you are not a shy person. Yeah, I am. No, no, you're not. God never created a shy, timid person. There's no such thing. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's who you are. So what do you do? Okay, okay. I believe it. I don't feel it. Doesn't matter. I believe it. And so what do believers do? Believers talk what they believe. So I wake up in the morning, I'm as bold as a lion. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says that I am complete in him. I am a complete person. I don't need anybody else to complete me because I'm complete in him. Amen. I'm not looking for a relationship to complete me. I'm complete in him. <sighs> now what are you doing? You're agreeing with grace. And now watch his job is to make the inheritance come into fruition. My job is to believe what inheritance is provided. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. We are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for your mercy and your kindness towards us. Lord Jesus, I thank you right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would continue to stamp this reality and this truth on the inside of us as we get into your word. Holy Spirit, you are here and your purpose is to reveal and to guide us into all truth. You are here to show us things that are yet to come. So we put a demand on that. We call on that. We expect that to come to place in our life. Now just say this after me. In Jesus' name, I am a whole person. My mind is sound. My body is strong. Knees are strong. Toes, strong. Hands, strong. Heart, strong. Neck, strong. Stomach, strong. Kidneys, strong. Pancreas, strong. Lungs, strong. You call it. You call it. Why? Because that's what grace says. So I say what grace says. Ha. Last thing. Finances. You are strong. <laughs> Amen.
Feels good. That's just what you do. You call those things which be not as though they were. Wow, you just keep calling it. Amen.